the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Thanks, Simon Rose. It's just great to be aware of the wider world and the church um, across the world. So thank you for helping us with that. Uh, As Christine introduced me, I'm CH2, um, otherwise known as Clive Hughes, uh, and it's great to see you here. I'm a member of the staff team here, so during the week I'm round and about in the building uh, helping to lead activities and lead the church. Um, And I'm going to be picking up our series this morning, The Cost of Living. Um, If you're new here today, and I know I've met a few people on the way in, uh, you are really, really welcome. It's great to see you today. Great to have you with us. Um, There is lunch afterwards. So if you want lunch, just stay around and get to know us. There's coffee, of course, and drinks, but they're not signed up yet. There's plenty of space, I believe, for food. Uh, See Karen or somebody over by the information point. Stay around. Say hi. It'd be lovely to have you with us and get to understand more about what Belmont is all about. Last Sunday morning, we were able to see five people say yes to the cost of living to following Jesus. They were baptised. I was talking to Deborah this morning. She showed her video to her boss of what happened and they were astounded by what they saw happening inside church. Somebody being thrown into the water as an act of obedience to Jesus. And she had to explain all that to somebody. What does it mean to do that? It means they're saying yes to the cost of living for Jesus. They're answering that question. They were each asked. They had different stories in their lives of how God had come to meet them. But they each answered this question. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour and as your Lord? And they said, thank goodness they said it, yes. (laughs) Because that would have been a bit embarrassing in the water if they said no. Um, In view of God's mercy, yes. I say yes to Jesus. He's rescued me. I want to live for him as Lord. I want to be a living sacrifice, an act of worship. Johnny started us off last week with thinking about, here we go, uh, being living sacrifices. Living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. They don't stay still. I don't know about you, but life is a bit cyclical. I don't always get things right, and I have to go back round and keep working at it. Being a living sacrifice, being a worshipping believer, is about putting Jesus at the centre, not putting self at the centre. Jesus on the throne of our lives about living now in the light of the whole length of eternity. Those were the things that we were reminding about last time. So if you haven't seen the baptisms, you can go back onto our YouTube channel and see those stories. If you didn't pick up these three points from two weeks ago, you can see it again on our YouTube channel. Have a check. We are having a series. We hope each one makes sense in its own right. But if you need to pick up and follow, then their things are there. Each week at Belmont, we read a bit of the Bible And we believe that this is God's word to us, that he has spoken to us. It's written for us. It enables us to live life with him. And so that's why we think it's really important. It's got in it the story of life, the story of Jesus. And that's what we're going to turn to in a few minutes in Romans chapter 12. We're thinking about the next step in this cost of living. The throne picture that Johnny talked about Verse 2 in our passage, and that Johnny talked about two weeks ago, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think it's a great mission statement, but as with all mission statements, it's a bit vague. 
Renew your mind. Be transformed. And what Paul goes on to say as the author of this letter, as the writer of this, this news to the church, he's going, let me tell you what that looks like in detail. And these few verses we're looking at, they're the beginning of that, but there's loads that follows that works out into really practical areas of life. So we're thinking about how we turn that into day-to-day practice. And I'm hoping, there we go. Who does jigsaws? This is the big picture we need to think about. Who does jigsaws? Oh, loads of people do jigsaws. During lockdown, jigsaws. Now, I did a bit of research here. Who can beat a 5,000-piece jigsaw? Nick Goldsworthy, you win. Oh, no, Adam. Adam. Well, more than 5,000 pieces? Great. Well done. I have the jigsaw playoff, I think, between the two of them. Nick Goldsworthy, respect, a 5,000-piece jigsaw. Seeing the whole thing, joining it together. Jigsaws, just a helpful story. We're going to be using jigsaws to think about our message today. When we come to do a jigsaw, there's lots of pieces in the box. When we open the box, we see all those bits. And of course, what we really need is the big picture. We need to see the whole picture of what's going on. And sometimes that's a bit like church. When we come together, when we see the events we do, when we read our Bibles, when we meet in home groups, when we just see the term card come out, when we get involved in activities at Belmont, when we see the church across the world. Maybe we just see lots of bits. But could we step back and see the big picture? Can we step back and see, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that Jesus has done for the world, he has come, he's given his life, he's risen from the dead, so that we, who trust in him, who say yes to the cost of living, may follow him, and be part of this big picture that we are part of. We are part of a bigger picture. So Paul says, there's a big picture. Renew your minds. Live in view of God's mercy. We're going to look at verses 3 to 5 today of this chapter 12 in Romans. If you have good old paper Bibles with you, I'm afraid we still haven't got these ones out. These are the ones that are normally in the chairs. Then turn to it if you can. Or bring it up on your phone. Or it will be on the screen now. So we're going to read this together. We started at verse 1 in chapter 12, and we're going to build as we go through, so we see the whole context of what is being written. So I'm going to read to us, and uh, these are the words that Paul wrote to a church in Rome, uh, a young church, believers who've been following Jesus for only a few years. It was written, this letter was written probably 60, 70, maybe 80 years after Jesus had lived. So this is an ancient text to us, but this was like fresh post to the Romans. Here's a new letter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." A short passage, but a passage that describes the role of church, why we're here today, why church exists, 
and our place in it. It's always helpful when you're reading the Bible to remember it was written to a group of people at a point in time. And we have jumped in here into chapter 12. So there's 11 more beforehand. And if you were here two weeks ago, you'll remember Johnny's flowchart, which told you to go back and read it again if you didn't get it. Um, so we're jumping in partway through. But here quickly, new readers begin here. This is written to a community. It isn't a letter to an individual. It's written to a church. It's written to a church who are living in a city uh, in the, the centre of the Roman Empire. It was a church that had different opinions, that had people who were living in quite different ways to us, but different ways to each other, different backgrounds. Some were Jews, some were not Jews. That was a massive heritage difference that is a real problem for this church, and it comes up later in chapter 14 about how to live and ob- obey religious practices uh, properly together. So it was written to a group of people living in a, in a city centre context, um, often meeting in different places across the city, so the historians tell us. Secondly, it sits in a letter that's a whole story. We've heard about God's grace, God's work through history and in Jesus, such that there is now no condemnation for all who trust in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness, there is life, there is hope. And so we join the letter at this point of, therefore, in view of all that has gone before, now do this. So what is this new mindset? Therefore, have a new mind, says Paul. Renew your thoughts. Here's renewed thought number one. There's two renewed thoughts this morning to think about. Each person is equally loved by God. Verse three, think of yourself with sober judgment. He doesn't mean don't drink. He doesn't mean don't have a beer. He means have a right view of yourself. Have a sense of seriousness about what has gone on, what Jesus has done, who I am in relation to God. Jesus has come, the holy, pure, beautiful, loving saviour, to save me, to save you, people who were enemies with God. If we think better of ourselves than we should, we may think, we don't need saving, I'm all right. I don't need a saviour. Paul says, look on yourself with sober judgment. See yourself with clear sight. The reality is, we do need a saviour. That's what the Bible says. And we look around the world and we can see, we can see things are damaged. And we see the big things, we hear Afghanistan and we see Ukraine. But we also know that even in our daily relationships, things are damaged. We need a saviour. We face judgment and death. But in Romans 1 to 11, we see the news of a saviour. Jesus has come. So this is good news, not bad news. A sober view is not sad. A sober view is amazing. Because we see things as they really are. That Jesus is the one who can save us. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the one who through his cross, death on the cross and his resurrection... He brings hope, life, love. Sometimes we can get stuck in the negative. Jesus brings the positive. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So think of yourself with sober judgment. Take a moment to reflect. Where am I? Against the standard of purity. Do I need a saviour? 
Secondly, second part of this thought, we're equally loved. Think of yourself in the right way in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That's what this verse is saying. Think in the right way about what God has done for you. He's not saying in accordance with the faith God has given to you in some translations as the measure of faith. Like if somebody's got lots of faith, then they're, they're, they're sailing. They're, whoa, praising the Lord every day, doing their thing. And other people have got a symbol of faith and they're just limping along. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Everyone has been given faith. Everyone has been given a measure of faith to see things as God has given us them. So get on the track. See it Jesus' way. If our thinking is out of line, if our thinking is distorted, how about we spend time with people saying, I don't understand this bit of the Bible. Could you help me understand it? Could, could we read something around it? Because I'm just really struggling. If this is true, then I don't get God. And we all have questions. We all have questions. So let's take time to help each other, to learn together, to straighten out our thinking, to correct our thinking where we need to correct thinking, to work together to line up our thinking with God's thinking. I love it when we work together, when we have a common purpose. When I see what's going on at at Belmont, I just love to see people working with that common purpose, a clear understanding what God has done for us and drawn us together. It's not just the things you see up front. You see Johnny, you see Christine, you see me. It's the guys on the sound desk you can't see. It's the people who, who set out the room beforehand. It's the people who send out emails. It's everything that goes on practically. But it's not just here. It's the loving your neighbor. It's the sitting down and reading the Bible with somebody. It's doing home group with somebody. It's caring for the person who's just lost a loved one. These are all ways in which we bring our thinking together and we line up our thinking because we're equally loved by God. We're equally part of his big picture. Let's challenge assumptions that we make about hope and love being found in success and career and money. Let's remember the truth that one day we're all going to face Jesus. One day we're going to have judgment. And there is hope. There is hope. Jesus has given us a way to a restored friendship, to a membership of a new and living community. Let's go back to the jigsaw. Each piece matters. Each piece is equal. Whether you're a corner piece, and we all treasure those corner pieces, don't we? That helps know where you are in a jigsaw. And the edge pieces. But if you're missing a piece in the middle, you've still not got a complete picture. Every piece, whatever shape, matters. Every piece is equally loved. We need to get our thinking straight. Paul says, think of yourself in the light of God, given the faith God has given you. Let's straighten our thinking about that. And let's deny and refute the lies that we often get told. I'm not good enough for God. You are. You are good enough for God. Good enough that he sent Jesus. Let's refute some of those lies. Each piece is equally loved. If we're going to be transformed, then we need to train our minds to think differently. We need to work to be transformed because those are difficult things to change. We have many things running in our heads. And then the second image Paul uses, having thought about reflection and correct view, is one of body. Verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members 
do not all, all have the same function. Now, we read that and we hear the word members and we probably think of a, a membership card or a club or a sports club. Uh, the words underneath that in, in, the, in the original languages actually are about bodies, limbs. It means limb, you know, parts of your body. It's not membership, although we get that idea from it, and that's great. Uh, so Paul is saying, you can see the picture. Every bit of the body, every limb, has a role to play. Not just limbs, but every bit of the body has a role to play. And he's using this to say, this is what church is like. And he says this, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That's what he says in verse five. We though many form one body and each member belongs to others. Here's the second thought. Jesus has joined us together to live for him. I've often been at fault of looking at this picture and seeing it really, really functionally. It's great everyone's got a job to do. Isn't it fantastic to see people doing jobs together and working together with a common purpose? And I've been challenged as I've thought about this passage again. That's only one part of being the body. In fact, it's a very small part, a very shallow part of being the body. Because actually, we are joined together to live for him. The whole Christian message is a community message. Yes, each of us can individually come to know God. But Jesus is building a new community. At the beginning of the service, that slide we've seen how many times now? You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, coming together, belonging to God. He's created a community in Jesus. That's what's going on. This is the new thought. So when we come into church, we don't come as individuals. We come as community. When we do activities together as church, when we pray for the church across the world, we do it as community. So two thoughts under this to maybe help us think about that. In Christ, we, though many, form one body. We're not just members of Belmont. We're not just people attending on a Sunday. We're not just part of a club in some way. We are members of a living entity. And that happens because we are, and these two words, we skip over them, so in Christ. That's what's happened. In Christ, we have been joined together into the living body that is the resurrected Jesus Christ. We are connected to each other. All who know Jesus are in Christ and are going with him on his mission, being that new community, that new humanity, showing this new life to the world around us. If people see the church, and not just Belmont, the church, they should be seeing Jesus. That's what this means, being in Christ. They see Jesus. So we're a body in Christ, a new humanity, a new image, a new representation of God at work in the world. Not saved to be kept safe for future, but now this new living body doing God's work in the world around us. God welcomes all to be part of that. Come and trust in Jesus. Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? That is the new humanity. You can be part of that. Say yes to Jesus. And that's not just here. I've said that already. It's in the city. There are many churches meeting this morning and this evening. In the UK, across the world, we are part of the body together, committed to each other. Sam and Rose prayed for uh, the persecuted churches. The map is on the wall over here. 
you can see the red barrier, the banner across the middle of countries where churches are really, really struggling. In Christ, we, though many, form one body. They are part of our body. We pray for them. Thank you for praying for them. It's great. It's a wonderful truth. Churches across the world, Christians across the world, we are joined together to demonstrate hope, love, forgiveness, grace. And then secondly in this phrase, in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I think it's a really unpopular thought that we, that we might belong to each other, we might have an expectation towards each other, that we might actually go beyond our individualism of our modern day. It's so countercultural that we belong to each other, that we have a stake in each other's well-being, spiritual growth, accountability. That's, it, it really is mind-blowing. It is absolutely countercultural. We need to get hold of some of that new thinking that says, when one part of the body hurts, Paul writes elsewhere in a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 12, when one part hurts, the whole body hurts. I've not been well the last couple of weeks. Many people have known that. I've had, had the COVID thing. Um, and when part, one part of my body hurts, the whole body hurts. I'm better now, by the way. Don't worry. Um, I've tested negative. Um, so that's great. But, you know, you know. You think, oh, why, why the whole body ache? When one hurts, the whole hurts. Back in Rome, this was radically different thinking. It was radical. People belonged to guilds, trades guilds, um, temples, worship places, status and uh, hierarchy. And, and, and is that different to now, really? Is that really that different? You were defined by your social status. Now, in the body of Christ, if you've become a Christian, Jew or Gentile, um, blacksmith, carpenter, statesman, senate, you are in Christ. And each of us belong to each other. Whether you're a professor, whether you're a cleaner, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a church worker, whether you're a parent at home, whether you're a carer, whether you're retired, each of us belong to each other. We are one body in Jesus Christ, showing to the world what it looks like to be love, hope, grace, forgiveness. That's what it means. That is just so countercultural. It's more than just being part of a club. Our identity is rooted in Jesus. So we come together, not just as individuals, but we are joined together in the jigsaw picture again to be the whole picture. Each bit joined together, coming together. And that's an image brought up elsewhere in other bits of the Bible. We're in this together. We need each other. We do it under God. So two ways to think differently. Each person equally loved, each piece important. And secondly, Jesus has joined us together to live for him. As I've already intimated, this is costly stuff. It's costly, isn't it? Living for somebody else. I don't know about you, but I don't like doing that. I prefer to live for myself. It's costly. But when we change our minds and see what Jesus paid for us, we start to understand, in view of God's mercy, how we might live differently. And it's not, oh, I must try harder. Because in the whole of Romans it says, God has given us his spirit. 
He's coming into us and living with us and changing us gently, carefully, kindly, saying, I want to work with you. I want to shape you. I want to see you more like my son Jesus. I want you as a community to live this way. It's not off you go and try hard. It's come on, let me help you. Let me work with you. How can we join in together? Well, here's a few suggestions, and they are just suggestions, a steer as to how we might practically live that out. Let's ask God for wisdom to help each other think rightly. How can we think aright? Let's be prepared to have conversations with people where we study the Bible, where we seek the good of each other. When we see situations that are hard, how can we help each other with grace and love? So let's be willing to have the hard conversation, the encouraging conversation. Let's have the real conversation as we see and meet people and share together. Secondly, let's be present together at church. And I don't just mean turn up, although great to see you all, fantastic. I mean bring ourselves, our whole being, our whole person when we engage with people. Let's not dash out after church. Let's make sure we engage with people in home groups. Let's drop a text afterwards. Not seeing you for a while. How are you? Do you want to catch up? Let's be present with each other. We might feel slightly anxious about being in a room together at the moment. I understand that. It takes time to rethink after two years of being told, don't meet people. But things are moving forward. We have a God who is calling us together. We have such grace that we can now meet Let's, let's overcome that fear. Let's work together in grace. Let's, let's be present. Let's be with each other in ways that really matter. When you see people around and about in the concourse, let's pay attention. I really hope there isn't somebody standing out on their own, not being welcomed, greeted, loved. Every Sunday, let's look out for people. Third steer, maybe. Pray for the church internationally. How about participate in the church internationally? Get to know those to whom we belong. You could do that by maybe engaging with the France Mission prayer meeting. Uh, Paul has been leading that for a while as he leads France Mission. And there's others. Yeah, open doors. You could pray for the church. What sort of prayers might you pray for these people? We can learn that. If you're on holiday this summer, who's going on holiday this summer? Who's got a holiday planned? Yay, great. How about finding a church when you're on holiday? What, go to church on holiday? Don't do that, do you? I'm on holiday. How about going to church on holiday and meeting your brothers and sisters? We've done that quite a few times and it has been ranging from overwhelmingly interesting to bizarrely hilarious. (laughs) It is amazing, but it is great. It's great. From a fizzy Pentecostal church in the middle of France in Angoulême, where, frankly, my language skills really didn't matter whatsoever because everyone was speaking in tongues and you had no idea which language was going on. So that was, through to a Highland church in Scotland many years ago where they stood up to pray and they sat down to sing. Well, by the end of the service, we were just completely confused. We had no idea. But they were so encouraged to meet these four young people who'd come to their town. We just heard them talk about God and what's going on in their place. Can I encourage you to do that? Meet the family. Might be a bit weird, but we all know families are weird, don't we? So let's do it. Let's, let's see the body of Christ across the world. It makes a huge difference. 
As we come to uh, the end of this time, we're going to turn to communion in a moment. The body of Christ taking together this meal that Jesus has given us. This is a representation of not just personal reflection. We do it when we come together. We do it when we're in Christ. Michelle's going to lead us in a moment. As you pick up the bread and the wine, if you can manage a third thing on your way through, there's a basket on the end of the table. There's some jigsaw pieces in there. Pick up a jigsaw piece. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your purse. And remember, you are equally loved. God loves you so much. Whatever your piece, whatever you are. And you are part of the big picture, the new humanity. I'm going to pray and then Michelle's going to come and lead us in communion. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing plan of creating a new humanity, a new world, a new community. Thank you that in Jesus you have made that possible. You don't just send us off to work it out for ourselves. You've given us Jesus. Thank you that we can join in with that. So Lord, help us to get our thinking straight, to love you and love each other, knowing that you have first loved us. May we show to the world, Lord, the grace and love and forgiveness that you have. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen.